whenever I stand here to bring the Word of God to you, is a confidence that comes from the second stanza of the song we have just sung. Don't open up your bulletins again to page six. I want you to know of a confidence that I have whenever I stand here to speak God's Word. The last stanza, I mean, sorry, the last verse of the second stanza says, Word of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. My only hope when we stand and, and open God's Word and, and speak it and, and talk it out to one another and proclaim it is not that somehow you can do something in your heart to rule out unbelief, but rather that the Word of God is a word of power. And that word of God can never fail. And that the truth of the word of God can prevail over the unbelief that often creeps in our hearts. That's my confidence. And in that confidence, I want to open God's word to you this morning, um, which is found in the book of James chapter 5. I will be reading from verse 13. And I'll be reading to verse 18, even though I will not be preaching to verse 18. Chapter 5 of the book of James. I'll start with verse 13. Um, if, if you did not bring the Bible in the, and you want to use a pew Bible, you may find this passage on page number 1013, 1013. And friends, as you're opening your Bible there, um, if you don't own a Bible, or if you don't own an ESV Bible, the one that we use in our services, you are welcome to take one of our pew Bibles and take it home. We'd love for you to have it and use it for your spiritual edification. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. Well, this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, would you let your word prevail in our hearts? Lord, you know the state of every one of our hearts. You know if there is a, a distraction, you know if there is a spirit of complaining or a spirit of bitterness. Father, you know if there is a spirit of doubt. Father, you know if there is a spirit of disobedience. Father, would you touch our hearts? Would you open our hearts? Would you work by your spirit to accomplish the purposes that your word has for us this morning? We pray this so that the name of Christ would be exalted in us and among us. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, um, there's so much in this passage. 
in this text that um, we could look at. It would take us a lot longer um, to do justice to everything that's in this passage, all the issues today. Uh, so in this, in this sermon this morning, we will focus only on verse 13. And if the Lord keeps us alive, if Christ does not return till next Sunday, we will cover the rest of these verses, or at least some of them, next week. We will uh, we'll encourage you to join us back next week to learn what it means to, uh, why would elders anoint someone with oil and such things. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. This morning, however, I want to point, point our attention, before we get into, into our passage, I want to point our attention to two poles that we see for the Christian life from this passage. Two centers, if you will. On one side, there's this, the personal aspect. There are certain actions which this passage tells us to do personally as Christians. Uh, prayer, singing, confessing our sins. These are, that's the first aspect. But the second pole, the second aspect, the second center is the life of the church. We see in this text that Christians ought to be able to call for their elders to come and pray for them. We see that the confession of sin is not simply a private or personal matter, but that we're supposed to do it to one another, a corporate reality, and even our prayer is not supposed to be just for ourselves, but for one another. In verse 19, we are encouraged to watch over one another so that in the case any of us wanders away from the truth, we might take the initiative to pursue them and seek to bring them back. The point of these corporate experiences is that the Christian life is both a personal experience, but it's also a corporate experience. Friends, the Christian life is not just about having a personal relationship with Jesus. You've probably heard that so many times in the last 10, 15 years, what it means to be a Christian. It means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Friends, that's true. But James here tells us that the Christian life is not just about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's also about a personal relationship with a church which belongs to Jesus, with the people of a church which belong to Jesus. The relationship is both with Jesus and with his people so that when we think about what it means to be a Christian, we are supposed to have an active engagement both with Christ horizontally and with his people. I'm sorry, both with Christ vertically and with, with people horizontally. Well, on this backdrop of understanding the two poles of the Christian life, let's draw, dive into this passage, what James encourages us, how he encourages us to live out the Christian faith. Two major points from verse 13 that I'd like to bring to your attention this morning. And perhaps this morning we will focus predominantly on the personal side. But I, I don't want you to lose sight and track of the fact that this verse 13, even though it addresses the, the, the vertical 
personal dimension. It really is in the context of the community. And next week, we will look at the implications and we look at the focus that engages the whole community. But here this morning, the first aspect of how we are supposed to live our Christian faith, the first one is the call to personal prayer. The call to personal prayer. Look at, look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Now, the word for suffering here is not the same word as for sickness. Even though in the English language, we use the word for suffering um, for oftentimes for sickness. The word doesn't necessarily or primarily refer to sickness here. The, the word is the same one that James used in verse 10. Would you look up just a few verses up in verse 10 where James said, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. Now when we see the, the example of the prophets, um, their suffering was not a suffering of sickness. The challenging, the, the challenging situations they faced were difficulties because they encountered the Word of God. James continues this theme of, of patience and endurance as he is addressing people who are facing various kinds of difficulties. How should we face difficulties of whatever kind they might be? Well, I want to remind you, in verses 7 through 10, James told us to consider and to face our difficulties with patience. Taking the example of the prophets as examples of patience. In verse 11, he told us to face our difficulties by considering that endurance is a blessing. That those who endure are blessed. In verse 12, he told us to hold on to our integrity of speech, even while we might face difficulties. And now in verse 13, he gives us another instruction of how to face our times of difficulty. And his answer is, with prayer. With prayer. Now James does not tell us what the difficulties are. For each of us, those difficulties might be different. If you are a college student, for instance, you may find yourself in some great difficulty with the amount of assignments that you're going to face this semester. And genuinely, not because of bad planning or uh, poor study skills, but you, this is going to be a very stretching semester. You're going to face some difficulties in your studies by the amount of homework you're going to have. Friends, it's a legitimate difficulty. If you've not encountered that, just enroll at UT, and you'll understand. But there's other kinds of difficulties that students can encounter. You may have a very hard professor that somehow finds out that you're a Christian, or from your comments, your conversation, you make comments that seem um, very uh, anti, if you will, anti-liberal, because you talk about God and the gospel, and that professor may give you a hard time or your classmates may, may start laughing to you or may, making embarrassing comments, you may find difficulties because you might stand for the truth of the gospel. And those are very legitimate difficulties that you may face on a campus like UT. If you're a parent, you might find certain difficulties and trials that may come to you 
caused by the rebellious nature of your child's heart. No matter how cute and beautiful your child is, you know that there's a rebellious nature in him. And that rebellious nature will creep up in all kinds of ways. And at times, you may feel like you're at the end of the rope and don't know how to handle your child. And you're at the end of your patience, at the end of your endurance with them. And you may find difficulty in how to parent in a godly way a child who has a rebellious attitude. If you're, covering, you're struggling to cover your bills and you don't know if you should look for another job or you should learn how to scale down your style of living so you may live within your means. Or perhaps you encounter trials at work with a difficult boss or difficult colleagues. Perhaps at work is too much and you feel the pressure of not being able to give enough time to your own personal walk with the Lord or to, to caring spiritually and well for your family, for your children. Friends, whatever the difficulties, whatever the challenges are, they may feel big or they may feel small. James doesn't tell us the details, but he's asking. He's asking people in the church to, who's, he's, to whom he's writing, is anyone among you suffering difficulties? Now, you don't have to rise your hand, but in your mind, how many of you would say, yes, that's me. I'm one of those. I want to raise my hand. Well, his instruction to you this morning and to all of us who face these is let him pray. Let him pray. You may say, I, I, by God's grace, I don't feel difficulties right now. Well, friends, you will at some point. If you will live long enough, be prepared for this answer that James gives us. When you face him, be prepared to face him with prayer. Oh, how easy it is for us just to try to depend upon ourselves when we face difficulties. How easy it is for us to develop perhaps a, a complaining spirit or to start grumbling. Oh, how easy it is for us to start worrying and become fearful. How easy it is for us to to lose the joy and become anxious, James says, let him pray. Pray. Sometimes we think that God only wants us to pray for spiritual things, only for the big things. But friends, even in difficulties, whatever those difficulties might be, no matter how big or small, we are called to pray. When you feel like you don't know what to do with your child, Pray that the Lord will give you wisdom. Pray for the daily routine that you're struggling with. Whatever it is, pray specifically for your trials. Pray specifically in the midst of those trials. And let those prayers be specific. And let those experiences of difficulty drive you not to being more frantic, not to being more anxious, but to be more prayerful. Now realize that when we pray, we don't simply seek solutions from God, how to fix the problem. When we seek God in prayer, we first seek God. When we pray, we don't simply seek a solution from God. We seek God in prayer. It's not that we simply come to God and ask Him to do our honey-do list without actually wanting to speak with the Lord himself. We want to engage with God when we pray. 
Now, the verb in the Greek language, let him pray, is in the present tense, which for those of you who, who have any concept of, of the language of, of, of Greek grammar, the present tense in the Greek grammar is really a continual action. It really should be translated, pray and keep on praying. It's not about just praying once or twice, but pray and keep on praying. Now, some of you may say, but I've been praying. I have been praying. And the Lord is not taking it away. Well, friends, realize something about prayer as we face difficulties. That the purpose of our prayer should not be limited simply to the removal of the trial. But we should pray for patience and endurance in our trial. Pray and ask the Lord not only to take the difficulty away, and you should pray for that, and it's okay to pray for that. But also pray along with that. Pray and ask the Lord to teach you how to respond to your trial and how to give you patience to face it. The Lord may allow certain difficulties in our lives to work out sanctification in us. Friends, just like in the case of Paul, who prayed and asked the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh. Now, remember... This is the Apostle Paul praying. And he was facing some degree of suffering. We don't know the details of what that thorn in the flesh was. But he's asking the Lord, and he's asking not just once. He's asking, he asked three times. And, and Paul tells us that the Lord's answer was not by removing the difficulty, but by giving him strength to endure it. The Lord says that my grace is sufficient in your weakness so that even when we pray we might pray not only that the Lord would remove the difficulty but that the Lord would give us the endurance and the patience and the wisdom to know how to respond to it that's why James's letter when he speaks in this letter about trials and by the way he speaks quite often about them in this letter in this letter, James is not concerned to teach Christians how to avoid the trials. In this letter, he's not concerned to teach Christians how to get out of the trials. He's more concerned to teach Christians how to go through trials. James is more concerned to encourage to walk, Christians to walk through difficulties with patience, with endurance, and even, and even with an unintuitive sense of joy which a, a non-Christian cannot understand. This means that our prayer in the midst of difficulties and trials should not only be to escape the trial, but to grow in endurance so that we may grow through the trial and grow a godly spirit in the midst of it. Because the only reason why, why a Christian could pray this way as they face, as we face difficulties, is because of the gospel. The only reason why a human being could pray this way in the midst of a, a trial or in facing a trial is because of the gospel. Because we know there's more to this life than simply this life on earth. And we know there's more to this life than simply getting rid of the troubles of this life. We know that there's a Spirit of God 
who works in us to conform us in accordance to the image of his Son from one degree of glory to another. And he often uses trials to do that work. Friend, if you're visiting us today and you're not sure what this gospel is, you heard us talk about it, you heard me just make reference to it, I want to take a quick moment to make sure you understand what is this news, this word, gospel, what does it mean? We throw it around, or around the church quite often, and Christians talk about it quite often. What does it mean? Friends, the gospel is a message from God about how He, the creator of the universe, is committed to restore and save to Himself rebellious sinners like you and me. The gospel is a news that we, God's creation, humanity at large, every one of us have rebelled against God. We have disobeyed His word. And there's a rebellious nature inside every one of our hearts. At the core of our being, there's actually a corruption so that we continually act in our own wisdom according to our own stubborn ways ignoring God's ways and often doing things against His will and not caring to live according to His commands. Because of our stubbornness, because of our rebellion against the one who is the creator of the universe, we have triggered an eternal punishment, an eternal judgment. And God will deliver that judgment on the final day when Christ shall come again. But friends, this creator... This God has also provided a way for rebellious sinners like you and me to escape the judgment to come. He figured out a way. He made possible a solution to grant His creation the forgiveness of sins. And there is only one way by which God can grant that forgiveness of sins to you and me. It is through his son, Jesus. He came to live the perfect life. The absolute perfect life. Not even one disobedience. And yet he was crucified. He was killed on a cross. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. Proving that indeed, his death on the cross was the penalty for our sins. Was the penalty for the rebelliousness that we have ex caused that we have lived out. And through Christ, because He paid the penalty of our sins, now God can grant the forgiveness of sins to all those who would respond to this gospel by repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus. And if you've heard this news of the gospel before, or if you've heard it for the first time this morning here in our midst, I am calling you, I'm encouraging you, I am pleading with you to realize that unless you respond to this gospel with repenting of your sin and entrusting yourself on the, in, in Christ, on the sacrifice of Christ to save you, unless you respond to that gospel, this is no good news for you. This news will be only a news for your condemnation on the day of judgment unless you respond to it. That's why I encourage you to, to repent of your sins and, and turn to Christ. Friends, if you'd like to know more about that, if you'd like to know what to do about that and how to return to respond to this gospel, you can, you, as soon as the service is dismissed, go and talk to another Christian. 
I'm sure if you came here this morning, if you, someone perhaps invited you this morning to church, go and talk to that Christian who invited you and tell him that you'd like to know more about how to respond to this gospel. I pray that the Lord would speak to your hearts because outside of this news, outside of this work of God to renew the core of our beings, we cannot look at this, at this life with eyes above and beyond what we experience in this earthly life. But when we respond to this gospel, we become convinced and we realize there is more to this life than this life on earth. And when we face trials through the lens of this gospel, we realize that God is at work in us and among us even through the midst of the difficulties. Friends, if God made the gospel aware and, and, and available for us, through the greatest suffering that this earth has ever seen, namely the suffering of His only Son, then be sure of this, that God can work out His purposes in your life through the various difficulties that you and I face. That's why the gospel gives us a different lens through which we can look at our difficulties. Oh, friends, this is the, the side effect of the gospel in all of us who have responded to it. Because of the gospel... We are given the ability to look at our difficulties with different eyes. They are no longer just obstacles we try frantically to get rid of. We can also embrace them, realizing that God may be accomplishing a greater purpose in us through them. That purpose is our spiritual maturity through patient endurance. That's how James started this letter in chapter 1, verse 2. And I want you to turn your Bible there, just a few pages, to James 1, 2, where James starts this letter with such an unintuitive instruction. He says to believers, and only to believers, because only they can do this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces that fastness and let that fastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And now, that's, if that's how he started the letter, now at the end of the letter, he's asking, is any among, anyone among you suffering any difficulties? And he says, let him pray. But pray not only to get out of the difficulty, pray that through it, the Lord will accomplish His purposes in your life. And may we say, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be Thy will, remove this cup from me. It is not wrong to ask that from the Lord. But just like Jesus, we must finish our prayers also with the words, yet not my will, but Yours. Friend, your prayer life, while you, pray, while you encounter suffering, your prayer life, not only what you pray, not only that you pray, but what you pray for in suffering says a lot about your faith and approach to God. So the call to prayer is a call to pray in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulties, that God may give us the endurance to go through them patiently. The second call, the second call we see in this passage, in particular in verse 13, is the call to personal singing. 
Look at verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The word for cheerful can also refer to being encouraged or being happy. Now, some may find it easier to seek the Lord when we are in trouble. But when things get better, people often forget to rely on the Lord. If in the first half of verse 13, James spoke about how to, how to respond in facing trials, in the second half of verse 13, James teaches us how to respond when things are good, when things go well for us, when we are cheerful of heart. And the answer James gives is, let him sing praise. Now, first of all, notice he's not talking simply about singing praise in church or in a church setting necessarily. He says, whenever you're cheerful, if you are cheerful, whenever you're cheerful, sing praise. Dear Christian, I want to ask you a question. Do you sing to God on your own? Outside of church gatherings. I don't mean just listening to the radio and listening to others sing for you and you enjoying that. I'm, I'm asking you, are you singing? Personally, privately. One of the reasons why we at Park Hills focus on congregational singing is to equip you as a believer and to encourage you to sing and to hear yourself sing and for you to be okay with it. Seriously. One of the reasons why individual Christians don't sing is because they feel awkward about hearing themselves sing. That's why when we think about our corporate experience of singing together as a congregation, we actually make it an intentional effort to make sure that the instruments don't sound so loud that they overpower the voice of the congregation. That's why occasionally and intentionally, we want to have moments in our singing when we sing a cappella because we want you to hear your own voice singing. And we want you to hear the voice of the person next to you singing. Also, that's why we're very intentional about how we choose songs when we gather together. We have three criteria for the, the songs we choose when we gather together as a congregation. First of all, we choose songs that are centered on the gospel story. We want to make sure that the songs we sing include the gospel story in, in, in various ways. Second of all, we want to choose songs that are rich in biblical truth. There are songs out there, friends, that are like skim milk. They're so skim that there's not even a place for them to be wrong because there's not much content that they have available. It's there. It's not wrong. It's just so light emotionally and truthfully that it's not worth singing. We want to choose songs that are rich in biblical truth so that that truth 
is able to stay with us. Not only when we sing together when, we, when we're here, but when we go home. And the third criteria that, that we use for choosing songs is that they must be singable by people who don't feel comfortable singing. And that's you. They must be singable by people who don't need much practice or don't have time to practice or don't like practicing singing. In other words, they must be singable by the congregation. There might be songs that are great theologically. They're very gospel-centered. They're great to listen on the radio, but you could not sing them by yourself. Keep listening on the radio. That's fine. But when we gather together, we want to put songs in your mouth and in your mind that when you leave this place, we want you to be able to hum them and think about them and start singing them. That is one of the reasons why we also give you bulletins with the words of the songs and sometimes even with notes. So you can keep these bulletins in your Bibles throughout the week and consider going through the songs we have sung Sunday. I was so overjoyed this past week. I met with a couple um, this, this week and, and they reminded me of and they, they made reference to a song that we have sung last week in the service. That's the point. When we sing together, not only do we bring praises to God together as a body, but our singing time is not to make us feel good about how good the music is. When we sing together, it's not about how good the people up front sing and execute the music. At the end of the day, we ask ourselves, how well did you, the people, sing? Because we want you as Christians, as individual Christians, when you leave this place to feel equipped and encouraged to sing songs that you can sing. As Christians, we are commanded to sing even personally. Did you know that? And yet there are so many Christians who feel embarrassed about singing. Friends, bring your embarrassment here. Bring it here. Bring the awkwardness here. Stick around. It may not feel the most energetic singing, if you will, in terms of instrumentation, but bring that awkward singing with you. And I'm sure there's some other awkward singers next to you and together, if we keep doing this a few months at a time, friends, we will be good singers. And we will no longer feel awkward in singing to the Lord personally. Friends, I'm serious. As Christians, we are missing a lot if we don't know and if we don't practice this discipline of personal singing of praises to the Lord. Not just when we're together, but when we're separate on our own. That's why, dear friends, take singing um, as an important part of what it means to, to be a Christian. Now, you may say, but Pastor, I'm not a singer. I've tried. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I'm not a singer. Friends, it doesn't matter. God is pleased to hear our singing and your singing, not based on how good it sounds, but based on the heart that is full of praise to the Lord. Wherever you are, whenever you are cheerful, Sing praise to the Lord. Another application that I want to bring on this subject of singing and cheerfulness, singing to the Lord. There are times when we are cheerful. But our cheerfulness is of such a matter that if you or someone else next to you would start singing praises to God, it would kill the cheerfulness. Have you ever been in those moments? Have you been to that party that Christians gather 
Um, and it's all fun. Fun, social, smiling, laughing, good times. Until someone in the group comes up with this awkward advice. Let's sing together. And you start hearing some Christians really start getting into singing, some singing praises to the Lord, some songs that, that they know they don't even know, they don't even need the words because they know them so well, and they just start singing. And you start feeling awkward. And you get the impression that somehow that party just became ruined. And you just can't imagine. Man, can these Christians get together and not do this church stuff all the time? Have you ever been in those places where you're cheerful, but should you or someone else suggest or start initiating singing praises, it feels like that cheerfulness just flops, just is ruined. Friend, if that's the case, I'm going to give you a challenge. If you have a cheerfulness in your heart that you could not sustain if God showed up next to you in that moment, through the presence of a song of praise, then it's possible that your cheerfulness is misguided and misdirected. It's possible that you may have either a wrong view of cheerfulness or a wrong view of spirituality. This command, when James says, is anyone among you cheerful, let him sing praise, is a command that we would seek God even in our cheerfulness, to have hearts and minds directed to God even in fun times. Dear youth or students, if you think that fun and spirituality cannot be together in the same sentence, you may have to revise your definitions of both of those elements. James wants us to think of God in our cheerfulness and to do it with a cheerful heart, with a joyful heart. Just as a command to pray in the midst of facing difficulties, not just a one-time activity, but an ongoing practice, the same command to sing is in this, in this, with this present ongoing notion is anyone of you cheerful? Let him sing praise and keep on singing praise. Well, friends, this morning we looked at only one verse of this passage. At these two commands, they are given to all of us for whenever we face difficulties or good times. James instructs us how to live our faith in either of those two extremes or two circumstances. If trouble can tempt us to abandon God or our commitment or spiritual life in Him, fun times and good times and cheerful times can tempt us to grow complacent and spiritually lazy and start believing that we can cope with life on our own. James says, whether in trials or joys, orient your life back to God. I love how, how Alec Motier says, to pray to Him is to acknowledge His sovereign power to meet our needs. And to praise is to acknowledge His sovereign power in appointing our circumstances, whether as the source of supply in need or the source of the gladness of our joy. God is our sufficiency. Friends, realize in these two commands, we declare that whether in times of trials or cheerfulness. We turn back to God because He is our sufficiency. 
And I want to leave you with a final quote by John Calvin who said on this passage, James means for us that there is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. Let's pray. Father, we are encouraged and challenged at the same time by the instructions of your word. How to face life, whether in trials and difficulties or cheerfulness and joyfulness and happiness. How to face both of those experiences in a way that pleases you, in a, bra- in a way that brings honor to Christ, in a way that speaks of your coming kingdom and of your present reign in our hearts. Oh God, would you, would you let every one of us this morning who has heard this message be encouraged and challenged and equipped to respond to life's circumstances, whatever they may be, in a way that shows that indeed you are our ultimate satisfaction. You are our ultimate source of joy, of supply, of strength, of patience and endurance. Lord, we praise you. May your name be praised and exalted and made visible through the lives of your people gathered in this place. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.